0: Well, welcome again to Preston Crest. Uh, again, my name is Brian Borden. And uh, as, as, many, as many have said, uh, oh, you're the new guy. Yes, yeah, I'm the new guy, which is weird because when you've been in one place for so long, you're kind of the veteran, you're kind of the old guy. And so it's funny coming to a new place and being called the new guy. But I'm excited to be here. My family and I are so thrilled for what the Lord is going to do. And I'm so excited this morning to bring the Lord's message to us. And I hope you're as blessed this morning as I've been this week, just going through the scriptures and going through God's word. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, one of the things I loved to do was to play the game Space Invaders. Have you ever played the game Space Invaders? You know, it was so much easier back then because you just had one stick and one button. and It was just do, 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 you know, and you're just, you're just taking out everything, and it was awesome. And I was really good at it. I think that's why I liked it. But I want us to think of this morning's message as an invasion. You know, when you think of the word invasion, what comes to mind? Many times we associate the word invasion with something bad. But this morning, I want to challenge us to think of the word invasion as a very positive thing. You know, there is an invasion going on in every small town. In every large city, these invaders have infiltrated our churches. These invaders have infiltrated this church. Of course, I'm talking about the invasion of our youth. Within just a few short years, think about this. Every pulpit, every president's chair, every doctor's office will be filled by a young person today. They will govern every state. They will control the media. They will fill the halls of Congress and make every decision. And most importantly, they will lead our churches. Someone said, you know, I really believe Adam had a real advantage over us because he was never a teenager. You know, he never had to go through the dating dilemmas. In fact, his Saturday Saturday night options were probably rather limited. But let me tell you something, young people are so important to Jesus. And young people, whether they're teenagers or young adults or children, are used by the Lord now in powerful, powerful ways. And young people are accountable to the Lord. Today's message is for us all. If, you've, if you're 25 or under, go ahead and raise your hand. If you're 25 or younger, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, leave them up. If you're 25, if you've ever been 25 or younger, raise your hand. Okay, there's some people that are confused out there. No one raise their hand. Don't worry. We'll go through it. You'll all understand at the end. I, wanna, I want us to read the scripture of the morning, our, our theme scripture from Psalm 25, 7, and it's going to be on, on the walls back here behind me, and if we'll all just read this together out loud, uh, I really just believe it will emphasize what we're talking about this morning. So here we go. You ready? Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me for you are good. Oh Lord. See here, the psalmist looks back. He looks back at his youth and he's got a few regrets. He says, I could have been a wiser young man. He looks back and says, Lord, please remember not my sins. For basically saying, God, please forgive me. Help me forget. Help me to move on. With that statement of mind, I want us to think, I want us to make three simple observations. First one is, the lifestyle of Jesus is for young people too. While it's true that the sins of youth may be sins of impulse, recklessness, or, or passion, it's also true that we don't just laugh these sins off because these sins are not laughed off in heaven. Just to illustrate this point. People used to love when Bryce was about two, two and a half years old, and we'd take him to church at first colony, and people love would come up and say, "Hey, Bryce," because his response was, "Grrr." And we were like, "What?" We, so we tried to pull him aside and say, "No, no, no. When someone says hello to you," or they say "Hi," you respond with "Hello," or "Hi," or what's up." But people kept egging it on because they thought it was so funny. But for us, we were trying to raise a young man. And we didn't want him to be 18 years old, still growling at people. (laughs) Several scriptures emphasize youthful accountability. In Leviticus 21, God establishes a code of behavior for the Israelites. And I'm intrigued when I read through Leviticus 21 about the expectations for the youth of that culture. He had almost inflexible expectations of their morality and their obedience to their parents and to the authority. And I love that because it's for all of us. And, you know, when you go through Leviticus, you know, if you've ever sat there and tried to read through it, sometimes it's tough to get through. But I love to see what God expects. And it's also crazy to see the laws that he had to put in there. And you would think, who does that? But we're people that struggle with living moral and holy lives. And it starts when we're young. And if somehow we missed it, it starts today for us. In Psalms 119, it says, how will a young man keep his way clean? See, even as young people, we're called to be clean. We're called to be holy. We're called to be pure. Ecclesiastes 119, do what you want. Chase what you see. Enjoy what you find. But don't forget, God holds you responsible for every date and every choice. The idea that, oh, they're just kids, they need to get all their mistakes out now, or that we just don't expect great things from our children and from our teenagers, that's not what God intends, that's not what God expects. We're all going to make mistakes, we're all going to fall short of, of being holy, of being perfect. But that doesn't mean that we just don't strive. That doesn't mean we don't strive to be the best we can. It doesn't mean that we don't give everything we have to the Lord. Whether you're young or old, we're called to be 100% in. Jesus doesn't want just 99% of us. He wants all of us. He wants everything we have. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 99, he wants all of you. God expects a 17-year-old to be the light of the world. He expects an 18-year-old, just like a 58-year-old, to let their light shine before all men. God expects a 16-year-old to crucify their egos and to treat people just as the way they want to be treated. And all of God's commands about obedience to parents weren't made to people who had already left home. So if you're old enough to understand this message, then we're old enough to honor the Lord. My challenge to us today is to aim high. One modern day example of young people taking the lifestyle of Jesus are these two brothers, Alex and Brett Harris. And they took this uh, living out, their calling for Jesus to heart. They wrote this book called Do Hard Things. And then they started a blog called The Revolution. And what they were urging teenagers and parents is they were urging them to, to fight low expectations for our young people today they had this huge success. People were following them and they said, you know, it's not enough for us just to talk about it. We're going to go live it out. And so when they were 16, they went and served on the Alabama, Alabama Supreme Court uh, as interns. I want to read a quote here from their book. It says the teen years are not a vacation from responsibility. They are a training ground of future leaders who dare to be responsible now. They challenge people to do five hard things. And I I really believe they're very challenging. And I I really believe it's challenging not only for for our teenagers, but it's also challenging for adults. The first one is do things outside of your comfort zone. Woo. That's a tough one. Especially, I think, the older we get, the more set in our ways we get, the more we think, well, this is where I sit on Sunday. This is how I go to church. This is what I do when I do this. And sometimes we get in such a routine and such a pattern that life becomes just going through life and not stopping and saying, what is the Lord going to do through me today? How will God use me today to bless others? So get outside of your comfort zone. Be stretched. Secondly, do things that go beyond what is expected or required. Don't just go to what is expected or required. In fact, Jesus says, you know, back, in, back in, the, in the days where Rome was in charge, the Romans would make the Jews carry their equipment. And so he would say, don't just go one mile because you were forced to go one mile. Go with them another. Because by doing so, you'll show your faith. You'll show that you really do follow the Lord and he gives you strength. Do things, thirdly, that are too big to accomplish alone. I love this, because if we just do things that we know that we can do, where's our faith? Where are we challenging ourselves? When we do something that takes the Holy Spirit, and it takes maybe us as a community, us as a church, to come together to do a great thing, then we know that life is not about us, and that we have to rely on the strength of the Lord. Next, do things that don't earn an immediate payoff. And this one's tough for me because just the other day I was in the office and Mike Colodi can attest to this. I said, man, our Wi-Fi sure is slow. And I was sitting there and I was trying trying to search things on the internet and I was going and I was like, and that little dial just kept going round and round. And I was like, man. So I closed it out and I opened it up again. And then I got through and I started reading through my sermon again. And I went, oh, whoops. Immediate payoff. We live in such a fast food culture. We feel like if it takes too long, it's not worth it. When Jesus is saying, plant seeds, I'll water. I'll make it grow. You just be faithful. You be patient. And I love that because, you know, when I was uh, was a youth minister for First Colony, and I was their summer intern before that uh, for two summers as well, and being at a church for so long shows what God can do. The fact that I stayed there that long shows what God can do. But the fact... That you get to watch teens and and, you know you send them out and you've you've partnered with parents, praying over them, loving on them, planting seeds of faith, watering, just, just cultivating the land. And then they come back with their kids or they come back after college and you see them with their faith and their faith has become their own. And they're living out what the Lord is calling them to do. And then you go, oh yeah. It's not an immediate payoff. It's a, lifet- it's a lifestyle. It's a journey. Finally, do things that challenge the cultural norm. Instead of just going with the flow of what culture and society say, we're called to be holy. We're called to be different, to be set apart. So let's live that way. Let's be the light of the world. Let's be salt of the earth. Several personalities illustrate youthful responsibility in the Bible. You know, in Acts chapter 7, we, we meet a, a young man named Saul. Who was, you know, who was authorizing Stephen's death. Well, the very next chapter we see this young man, Saul, is now being commissioned to go out to the Gentiles, to go and proclaim the gospel message to all the world. The most famous battle ever fought and won in the Valley of Elah was won by a teenager named David. And he won that fight because of his fanatical devotion to the Lord. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was undoubtedly a teenager when God planted Jesus in her womb. The sins of youth are not lightly esteemed on earth because they're not lightly esteemed in heaven. And I want to emphasize this point again because I think sometimes it's good for us as as young adults or as as teenagers to hear that because sometimes our parents overprotect. Sometimes we need to hear this because if we've gotten a ticket, our parents may pay for it. If we've gotten in trouble, our parents may have gone to bat for us. And it's time for us to remember that we will stand before the Lord for our decisions. That it's time for us to stand up and be accountable for who we are. The sins of youth are not lightly esteemed. The lifestyle of Jesus is for young people too. If you're 45, this invitation is for you. If you're 75, this invitation is for you. If you're 15, this invitation is for you. In fact, the most repeated statement by Jesus is, follow me. Follow me. He's calling us to follow him. Not halfway, but he wants all of us. Secondly, on your outline, good habits now will become your best friends for life. You know, if you're going to text this, or if you're going to put it on Facebook, you might say good habits equal BFFs, right? You see, life is one unbroken thread. The past is linked to the present, and the present is tied to the future. The choices of your today will determine the quality of your tomorrow. So don't un- overlook the principle that your life is an unbroken thread. A great example of this are two of my former students in my youth group at First Colony. Their names are Mally Cornegie and Riley Curry. For the time they were young, their parents instilled in them uh, the, the value of the Bible. They were a part of the youth group. They were taught to be a part of the overall church. They were called, they were called to live out God's principles of life. They also went to camps. They served on mission trips. They did local service projects. Um, and, the, and, and the thing that I love about what is here is so many seeds have been planted in them uh, by their parents and by the church that once they graduated, they felt this calling to go to Honduras and, and they both went to different schools and they got this calling at different times, but they both gave up two years after they had graduated to go out and to serve the people in Honduras. And I love that because here it is. They could have said, well, Lord, let me go make money first and then I'll go over there. Let me go establish my family first. Then I'll go over there. But they said, you know, I'm called to go. I'm going to go. So let me say to the parents here, raise your children now the way you want them to be. And when they're adults, think with the end in mind, however, you want them to, to end up as adults, think with that way so that you may raise them now with that end in mind. Bring your children to Bible school, bring them here to worship, teach them how to worship. Start creating habits in your child's life now that you want them to live out for a lifetime. And it's not easy because you're going to get tired. You're going to get worn out. Life gets busy. We have three kids. Life gets really busy. We understand that the older they get, I watch our parents of teenagers and I go, whoa, the older they get, the crazier life's going to be. So if we don't establish these habits and this culture in our house now, then we may miss it. And so we work very hard. Sometimes we do great, and sometimes we miss it. But we work very hard to try to create a culture of bringing up children in the Lord. So good habits are your best friends for life. Don't be short-sighted today, uh, because today affects tomorrow in so many practical ways. You know, one of the the things I think about is the story of Esau and Jacob. Do you remember the story? And and maybe you haven't heard it, but the story where, where Esau goes out hunting, and Jacob's making this soup or this stew. He's out there and he's cooking and Jacob comes in, our Esau comes in and he's so hungry. He's so hungry. He thinks he's going to die. And he smells that soup and he comes up and he says, Jacob it smells so good. And I'm starving to death. Have you ever been there where you've been so hungry? I have. And I started thinking about what would I trade? What would I give up when I'm so hungry? What would I give up to quench that hunger? to stop the hunger. For Esau, it was his birthright. See, Jacob says, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you a bowl of soup. And he's, you know, he's sitting there and going, "Mm, this is good. He's so hungry. Okay, fine. What good is it to me if I'm dead? So he trades the eternal. Being a birthright, you know, being the firstborn, you had rights. You had inheritance. He gave all that up for a bowl of soup. So he traded the, the eternal for what was temporary. Esau went down as one of the most foolish people in Israel's history. The Bible says that Esau sought to get it back, even with tears, but he could not. See, so you can make a foolish decision when you're young. You can live an ungodly life now, and it'll be, begin to, to stiff-arm the Lord for a lifetime. And maybe there are areas in our life, even as adults, that we're stiff-arming the Lord. Maybe there are areas in our life that we haven't given completely to the Lord, and we need to do that today. When Magellan sailed around the world, he'd often bring these beautiful trinkets to show the various natives wherever he landed on the island. He would single out the strongest natives, and once he'd earned their trust, he would show them leg irons and thinking it was just more beautiful jewelry, they'd put these leg irons on, just to find out that they are now trapped and enslaved. The sins of youth are like that leg; those leg irons. Our sins are like those leg irons. We think sometimes that we're wearing something beautiful and flashy, only to find out that we're enslaved by the most cruelest master, and that's Satan. The best decision is to get on God's pathway when you're young because good habits will be your best friends for life. He has great plans for us. Whether you're 12 or whether you're 80, he has great plans for us. But what about when I feel like the psalmist here in 25-7? What about when I say, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, O Lord, for you are good. So, you can do something when you're 17, and when you're 70, you may still cry yourself to sleep. But God offers grace, God offers forgiveness, God offers release. Here's the good news, and I want us to all hear this this morning. There are no statute of limitations on the grace of God. Let me say it again there is no statute of limitations on the grace of God. Amen. Man, that's exciting, because grace and forgiveness is for us all, no matter what I've done, no matter what I've done. See, something I did 10, 15, 20 years ago, I may think, can God really forgive those sins? My tears will not wash those away. Only the blood of Jesus will cleanse me. Only the blood of Jesus will cleanse you. So let's take hold of that gift today. Accept Jesus as your Savior. And if you've already accepted him as your Savior, then live out a lifestyle that shows that you've been forgiven. Live out a lifestyle that shows that you are free in Jesus Christ. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Let the healing begin now. Say yes to the cross of Jesus now. Say yes to his great love. Say yes to his great plans for your life, his hope, his eternal future for you. The sins of youth can be forgiven, but it's always too soon to despair. It's time for us not to be defined by our past. It's time for us to let ourselves out of that spiritual penalty box. You know what I'm talking about? Let me give you an illustration. I remember playing football. I played at the Colony High School up in North Dallas. And I remember being in a game, and we were playing Marcus as one of our rivals. And we're, we're, it's a close game. We're driving down the field, and I'm thinking, yeah, if we score here, we'll win the game. As we're driving down the field, it's third down, and I jump off sides. Yeah. <laughs> Someone feels my pain. I love it. That's right. We don't get the first down, we end up punting. I go to the sideline, I rip off my helmet, and I throw it on the ground. I get some water and I spit it out. I pick up my helmet and I put it on because I don't want to run Monday. So I put my helmet back on. I wasn't crazy, just mad. And so I'm standing back there and I'm walking back and forth and I'm pacing. And all I'm doing is beating myself up. And I'm saying, oh, I'm so stupid. I just cost us the game. Now, mind you, it's like the second or third quarter. And I'm so upset. <laughs> And I'm just beating myself up over and over and over again. Finally, I, feel, I, I sense my coach coming after me, my offensive line coach coming after me. I'm like, yeah, good. He's going to rip me apart. And then he grabs me by the face mask, and he pulls me in. And he says, let it go. Let it go. Forget about it. I need you in this game, not just physically. I need you in it mentally. If we're going to win, I've got to have all of you. I love that because God says, I need you in this game. I want you. I want you. Forget about those past mistakes because I've forgotten about them. Because I died for you. I've cleansed you. You are forgiven. Go and live free. Go and live for me is what he's saying. He's saying, get off the sideline. It's time for us to get back in the game, and to go hit our enemy, the Satan, our opponent, hard, and show him that Jesus lives, that there is freedom, that he can't hold us down by our past mistakes because there are no statute of limitations on the grace of God. Everywhere in the world, some of God's best wonder if they're forgiven. The more we know of God's holiness, sometimes the more we're prone to condemn ourselves. But as the Apostle John wrote, God is greater than our hearts. Let yourself be forgiven. Can it be possible? Can God really forgive me? Can he really forgive you? As Zacchaeus, the town extortioner, God's grace reached him. As David, the wife stealer and murderer, God's grace reached him. As Peter, who denied Jesus three times, even the last time with curses. God's grace reached him as the church in Corinth. God's grace reached them as the woman caught in adultery in John chapter eight. God's grace reached her as the prodigal son. His father put a ring on his finger. The hands that handled sinful women now wore a ring. And this ring in the ancient times signified that you were not a slave. You are my son. All you had had before is now yours again. The sins of youth can be forgiven. How can it be? It's because of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are made whole, that we are forgiven. You know, this preacher told, I, I want to, you know, kind of wrap us up here with this, with this illustration. This preacher told this example he said I got a great example of God's grace. He said these men were trying to swim from the west coast all the way to Hawaii. Some got further than the other and then finally the last one who was was got the farthest went down a third time and they threw him a life preserver. He said that's the way it is with God's grace. God's grace. We do our best and he does the rest. Which is kind of a catchy slogan, but you know just like Casey Moser comes up to the preacher afterwards and he says If that's your idea of grace, then you're wrong. If you had said that swimmer went down and died and they reached down and picked him up and brought him back to life, then that would have been an example of God's grace. See, we were dead in our transgressions, but God's grace, that great love for us redeemed us, saved us. The sins of youth can be forgiven. The sins of all of us can be forgiven. Your life can be transformed. Forgiveness can happen totally, completely, and instantaneously. Transformation can happen one day at a time, one step at a time. The lifestyle for Jesus is for all of us. It's for young people too. Good habits now become your best friends for life. There is no statute of limitations on God's grace. We're all welcome to the table. God's grace is for us all. Living as a Christian will cost you. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you your life. But living without Jesus, so hard. You might say it's impossible. If You're seeking Jesus today. Let us help you. Let us show you who Jesus is. And if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, you know, I'm not good enough, or this message really isn't for me, let yourself out of the penalty box. Receive God's grace. Receive His mercy, His love today. Be forgiven. Be free in Jesus Christ. He wants all of you. He wants your imperfections, your weaknesses, your strengths, your talents, your failures, your successes, fears, your doubts, your joys, everything about you. He loves because He created you. And He'll use those weaknesses and those imperfections to show how great He is. He's calling us to come and just be used. Just to bring everything we are, to come as we are today.